We meet today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 to verse 12. In this chapter, we are talking about the coming of Jesus Christ, which gives us a working hope. The coming of Jesus Christ is a working hope. The coming of Jesus Christ for his church is called the rapture of the church. And this is not a doctrine to argue about. It is a doctrine to live. It is a teaching to practically live. Unfortunately, there are many people who believe Christ is coming after the great tribulation. There are those who believe he is coming before, and some believe he is coming during that period of time. Then there are others who don't believe that he is coming at all, and yet they say they trust Christ as their Savior. For all the groups, there is one important question, my friend. How does your interpretation affect your life? It's one thing to come up with an interpretation, and it's another thing to see that your interpretation changes your life. Now, does your interpretation do anything for you? If your view has no effect on your life, then you should reconsider what you believe in. The expectation of the return of Jesus Christ should be a motivating factor in the life of the believer. In the verses before us today, Paul defends his ministry motives. He tells us that he ministered first in spite of suffering, and he also ministered like a gentle mother and a caring father. Further, he appeals to God as his witness of what he has been doing. And he also appeals to the Thessalonians as on first-hand knowledge of his ministry among them or in their midst. For he uses the statement, you know, particularly in verse 1, in verse 2, verse 5, and verse 11. And he uses another statement, you remember, in verse 9. And then he finally uses the word, you are witnesses, in verse 10. First of all, let us look at the motive and method of a true witness for Christ. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says here, when we came to you, it was not just some theoretical proposition that we presented to you. We didn't come to declare to you something that was new and novel and which had no effect on you at all. Our coming to you meant radical change in your lives. We didn't just entertain you for a few days and then leave you. You see, Paul says our work was not in vain. It was not empty. When he came to the city of Thessalonica, it drugged many people, bringing many to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and it brought a church into existence. Paul was not simply talking about a theory or a philosophy like many people do today. He had something that worked in Thessalonica. The gospel walked down the streets of that city, and it got into the hearts and the homes and the lives of many and women children and old people, they all experienced the transforming power of the gospel. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were 
bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. First Thessalonians 2 verse 2. Now the term conflict here is the word from which the English word agony is derived. The Greek term was often used to describe the strain of an athlete during a contest such as wrestling match or a race. So Paul says that he had been shamefully treated in Philippi or spitefully treated in Philippi. We know about that from the account in Acts chapter 16. But when he came to Thessalonica, he became a bold person. He became bold. In other words, he didn't slow down because of his previous experience at Philippi. He didn't play down the gospel. After this terrifying experience, Paul didn't say, I'm now going to change my approach. I'm now going to be more tactful and less outspoken about the gospel. No, no. Paul was not a secret believer. He spoke right out, just as he had done at Philippi. You see, my friend, it would have been so easy for Paul to rationalize. He could have decided that he had better be more careful to win friends and influence people. Excessive tact and the soft sell were not Paul's method here. He boldly declared the gospel and his experiences did not affect his approach. Many times people change their approach because of their experiences. Paul is going to tell us about the sermon that he preached at Thessalonica, actually beginning with verse 3 all the way to verse 6. And then he will describe the relationship he had with the believers in that city. He was like a mother to them, in that he comforted them. He was like a father to them, in that he charged them. And he was like a brother to the Thessalonians, in that he challenged them. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3. Here Paul says the content of our exhortation was not adulterated. Paul did not water down the gospel, my friend. He never changed it to suit different groups. He was also not motivated by greed. He didn't come to the Thessalonians for the offering that he would get from them or the fame that he would gain. He wasn't seeking to be ministered to personally, but he came with pure motives. There was no uncleanness in that sense. And he did not use wrong methods with them. He did not lower his standards to accommodate the prejudice and the passions of the old nature. No, he did not use an appeal to the sinful flesh. My friend, Many of us can learn a lesson from the Apostle Paul at this point. Everyone who teaches the word of God needs to ask himself whether he is doing it with any deceit or uncleanness or guile. We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to check our own motives. Do we teach in order to win friends and influence people? Or are we honestly trying to give out the word of God? Paul wanted to give out the word of God. So Paul could tell the Thessalonians, When I came to you, I want you to know that I had no ulterior motives. I didn't come for your offering. 
I didn't come in order to share your ship. No, I came to give you the gospel and then to build you up in the faith. That was my motive. With that kind of motive, a person is really sailing on a marvelous sea. There may be storms, but the Lord will bring his servant through. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 4. Here Paul was saying that he was no novice. He was not a, a main pleaser, nor had he ever sought popularity. He wasn't trying to make a name for himself. When Paul preached, he was not preaching to find out what men would think of him, but what God would think of him. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. First Thessalonians 2 verse 5 Now many people in today's culture have grown actually cynical about religion. So we as believers think about presenting uh, the gospel to others. We need to be very careful to make sure that our message uh, is credible and it is straightforward. Paul mentions here two dangers that he avoided so as not to compromise his credibility. He avoided the use of flattering words, which amounts to telling people what they want to hear. And he also avoided a clock for covetousness, which involves hidden motives. To use either of these approaches is to deceive people. That's unacceptable for someone who presents himself as a representative of Christ. The key to Paul's integrity was his realization that God himself had entrusted him with the message, as we saw in verse 4. The task of taking the gospel to the Gentiles was not something that Paul had thought up, but a calling from God. That is very clear even explained in Galatians 1 verse 11 to verse 17. Paul says, it was God who called me. Thus, his aim was not to please people, but to please God who called him. Nor did he need to worry about his material well-being, even less to covet what others had. As a messenger of God, he could really rely on God to provide for his needs and remain content in whatever circumstances came his way. The testimony of it is found in Philippians 4, verse 11 to verse 12, where Paul talks about how he was contained to be in every situation. But this is not to suggest that Paul was irresponsible. No, he earned his living through his occupation as a tent maker. Acts 18, verse 1 to verse 3, testify to it. Now, my friend, as we consider ways in which to communicate Christ to people around us, what obstacles to our credibility might be there? Are there things about our methods or motives that conflict with the message with which we have been entrusted? Paul made sure that those were removed from his life. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, 
when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 6 Actually, Paul never sought position or honors. He never received any honorary degrees. He had pure motives. So the glory of man was not his pursuit. How did he go to them? He went to them as a mother. So we see the mother side of the apostles' ministry, and that mother side was that he brought comfort to the church at Thessalonica. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. First Thessalonians 2 verse 7 You see, Paul felt great love for the Thessalonian believers, and he drew upon a touching image here to communicate his affection, that of a woman nursing an infant. Paul clearly intended to convey a sense of tender affection and responsible loving care for his spiritual children, the Thessalonians. In doing so, he showed a side of spiritual leadership and nature that Christian leaders do well to emulate today. Please note that Paul didn't feed on them. He fed them. The nursing mother is a tender and a vivid picture of Paul's heart for the church. The word cherishes here further emphasizes the nursing mother's activity as well as her attitude. So Paul's positive expression of his relationship to the Thessalonians is, I have been a nursing mother like a mother bird to you. All the gentleness of the Apostle Paul, he was as tender as a woman in his dealings with the church at Thessalonica. He loved this church. The Lord Jesus Christ identifies himself in many ways in scriptures, and he calls himself the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. He protects the sheep, and someday he is going to gather them into a fold where they will be safe with him. He also uses this idea of the mother hen with the little chicks according to Matthew 23 verse 37. Paul was that kind of a minister, like a mother hen protecting the little chicks. He loved the Thessalonian believers with a mother's love. They were dear to him. There are still ministers like that today. Praise God for them. Maybe they may not be great expositors of the word of God, but they believe the word of God and preach it. Such godly and experienced pastors are able to counsel people who are in need of help. You don't need to be afraid to sit down at the feet of such people and open your heart to such a man and let him help you. So affectionately, longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives because you had become dear to us. First Thessalonians 2 verse 8 Here Paul had a genuine love for the Thessalonian believers and he was willing literally to give his life for them. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preached to you the gospel of God. First Thessalonians 2 verse 9 Interesting phrases are in this verse. First, there is the laboring night and day. 
You see, that's a mother's work. We are familiar with the expression, men's work is from son to son, but a woman's work or a mother's work is never done. A mother is not a paid nurse. Paul is saying here that he wasn't a paid nurse who worked by the hour. He wasn't a hired babysitter. He was a mother. A story is told of two girls who worked together in a cotton mill. One of them quitted the work and they didn't see each other for several years. They met on the street one day and the girl from the mill said, What are you doing now? Are you still working? The other one replied, No, I am not working. I am married. I not only have a husband, but I also have a little boy. I get up at three in the morning and feed the baby. Then I get up early to fix breakfast and make lunch for my husband. I take care of the baby through the day, and then I prepare dinner for my husband. The first girl exclaimed, I remember when you worked at the meal now, you used to watch the clock. When that five o'clock whistle blew, you were out of there. The young mother replied, I don't watch the clock anymore. I am working longer hours, but it isn't really work. That story, my friend, is amazing. This girl now was motivated by love and it didn't seem like work anymore. So she did not need to work by the clock. Many of us today continue to work by the clock because our work is not motivated by love. You see, that is what Paul is saying here. He loved these people. He labored over them night and day because he loved them. We are not to do the Lord's work on the basis of pay. Now, I'm afraid that put him in an awkward position. He had to make that call. And I can assure you, he never asked that of me again. We are not to do the Lord's work on the basis of pay. When we do it on the basis of pay, we miss the whole point. While even pay may, may be an important thing to have, but what is it that motivates us? It is our love for God. We are to care for God's work. We are to care for one another. We are to care with that tender care of a mother. That's what Paul did. Even anyone who is in God's field must follow the same pattern. Talking about Paul and the mother's side of his life, which is comfort, we see it. Now we move on to the father's side of the apostle's ministry. He is now charging the believers. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us, You are witnesses, and God also, how devotedly and justly and blameless we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Paul is speaking of something which they, they know to be true here. Notice the way Paul conducted himself among them. He carefully discharged his duties to God. That is what holy living is. He also carefully discharged his duty to men. He had a duty to God and a duty to men. He discharged both of them. My friend, if you hope to be a dedicated Christian, you must live a life that is holy before God. Watch God and don't watch the clock. 
Don't work only when the boss is around. You should work all the time because God is always around. Going down front in a church service and shedding a few tears and having someone pray over you will not produce actually a dedicated life. What does your boss think of you? If you are a student, what does your teacher think of you? If you are lazy, then you are not dedicated. A dedicated life is a holy life, lived always in the presence of God. Also, my friend, know that people will say ugly things about you, but the important thing is to make sure that the criticisms that they level against you are not true. Someone has accurately said, you cannot keep birds from flying over you, but it will be bad if they will nest on your head. Equally so, you cannot keep people from talking about you, talking falsely, but you can make them liars by your uprightness. You see, Paul and his companions maintained a holy life. A holy life does count, my friend. It has nothing to do with obtaining your salvation here, but it has everything to do with the salvation of people around you because they are watching you. They are watching you. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. First Thessalonians 2 verse 11. Now the Greek word for exhorted here means that Paul came to the side of these people to help, to entreat, and to convict them. It is the same word which is used for the Holy Spirit. You remember that the Lord Jesus said that he would send the Holy Spirit who would convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. John 16 verse 7 to verse 11. You see, the gospel is not presented in the power of the Holy Spirit, unless it is presented as something that the Holy Spirit can use to convict men. That means he convinces a man of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Those three elements are always in the gospel. And Paul said, that's what we did. In, in doing so, we exhorted, we comforted, we charged every one of you as a father does his children. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 12. You see the purpose to which they were charging and exhorting and comforting these people as a father, as a mother. It was directed towards making sure that these people will walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is what also Paul wrote to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. My friend, God has called the saints to his kingdom, which refers to the millennial kingdom, and to glory, which refers to the eternal kingdom. In other words, Get a perspective of God's great plan and purpose. Live in the light of eternity. The hope of the coming Christ is actually a motivating factor 
in our pursuit for holiness. It gives us a cleansing desire. We cleanse ourselves. We purify ourselves because of the hope of the coming of the Savior. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park 1620, South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa.